of your right to look at what you cannot buy. And so we were. When the new fashions came in, my mother tried them on while I watched. She had once been a model and knew how to strike attitudes before the mirror, how to walk casually away and then stop, cucking one hip and glancing over her shoulder as if someone had just called her name. When she turned to me, I expressed my judgments with a smile, a shrug, a sour little shake of the head. I thought she was beautiful in everything, but I felt obliged to discriminate. She didn't like too much admiration. It suffocated her. We looked at copper cookware. We looked at lawn furniture and pecan dining room sets. We spent one whole day at a marina studying the inventory of a bankrupt Chris Craft dealership. The big giveaway, they called it. It was the only sale we ever made a point of going to. My mother wore a smart gray suit when we went house hunting. I wore my little gentleman's outfit, a v-neck sweater with a bow tie. The sweater had the words Fraternity Row woven across the front. We looked respectable, as on the whole we were. We also looked solvent. On this particular day, we were touring apartments in the university district. The first three we looked at were decent enough, but the fourth was a wreck— The last tenant, a woman, must have lived there like an animal in a cave. Someone had tried to clean it up, but even with the windows open and the cold air blowing through, the place smelled like rotten meat. The landlord said that the woman had been depressed over the breakup of her marriage. Though he talked about a paint job and new carpets, he seemed discouraged and soon fell silent. The three of us walked through the rooms, then back outside— The landlord could tell we weren't biting. He didn't even offer us a card. We had one more apartment to look at, but my mother said she'd seen enough. She asked if I wanted to go down to the wharf, or home, or what. Her mouth was set, her face drawn. She tried to sound agreeable, but she was in a black mood. I didn't like the idea of going back to the house, back to the room— so I asked if we could walk up to the university and take a look around. She squinted up the street. I thought she was going to say no. Sure, she said. Why not, as long as we're here? We started walking. There were big maples along the sidewalk. Fallen leaves scraped and eddied around our legs as the breeze gusted. You don't ever let yourself go like that, my mother said, hugging herself and looking down. There's no excuse for it. She sounded mortally offended. I knew I hadn't done anything, so I kept silent. She said, I don't care what happens. There is no excuse to give up like that. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes, ma'am. A group of Chinese came up behind us, ten or twelve of them, all young men talking excitedly. They parted around us, still talking, and rejoined like water flowing around a stone. We followed them up the street and across the road to the university, where we wandered among the buildings as the light began to fail and the wind turned raw. This was the first really cold day since we'd moved here, and I wasn't dressed for it. But I said nothing because I still didn't want to go home. I'd never set foot on a campus before and was greedily measuring it against my idea of what it should look like. It had everything, old-looking buildings with stone archways and high arched windows, rich greenswards, ivy. High on the west-facing walls, in what was left of the sunshine, the red leaves of the ivy glittered as the wind stirred them. 
Every so often a great roar went up from Husky Stadium where a game was in progress. Each time I heard it, I felt a thrill of complicity and belonging. I believed that I was in place here, and that the students we passed on the brick walkways would look at me and see one of themselves. Fraternity Row. If it weren't for the woman beside me, her hand on my shoulder, I began to feel the weight of that hand. My mother didn't notice. She was in good spirits, again flushed with the cold and with memories of days like this at Yale and Trinity, when she used to get free tickets to football games from a girlfriend who dated a player. She had dated one of the players herself, an all-American quarterback from Yale named Dutch Diefenbacher. He'd wanted to marry her, she added carelessly. You mean he actually asked you? He gave me a ring. My father sold it to him. He'd bought it for this woman he had a crush on, but she wouldn't accept it.